about uh, the, pra- the spiritual disciplines. Uh, practicing His presence is what it's called. And right after Easter, we kicked off the series talking about um, Scripture, the importance in the practice of reading Scripture. And then we talked about giving. We talked about lament. We talked about the practice of worship and service. And last week, we talked about the practice of abiding. I'm just curious, what has stood out to you as a practice that maybe you're taking forward out of this series that you want to incorporate into your life? Not expecting that every single one of those is necessarily going to be, you know, fully fleshed out in your life going forward, but what one or two of those practices, whether it's scripture, giving, lament, worship, service, abiding, is going to be something that you're taking with you going forward from here. And today we're going to add one more to it, um, and it's the practice of remembering. And um, as I was preparing this message, I kept thinking, there's something familiar about this. Pam is laughing because I talked with her. If you're thinking to yourself, wow, I've never heard a message on remembering before, um, then you definitely need this sermon because I have preached on something like this before, which was kind of ironic. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about the practice of remembering. What does it mean to uh, practice uh, remembering what, what God has done in our lives? And uh, I want to look at a passage from Deuteronomy. Um, and before we do, I'll give you some context. Basically, the, these pe- the, God's people were trapped in Egypt as slaves. And God sent Moses to um, help deliver these people over the Red Sea and into the wilderness where he uh, spent 40 years just preparing the hearts of the Israelites to receive the promised land. And right before he's about to give them the promised land in Deuteronomy 8, he, uh, he has a warning for them. And uh, I want us to hear that warning uh, as we kind of talk about remembering today. And uh, before we look at that passage, let me um, take a moment to pray. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, 2,000 years ago, you uh, came down like tongues of fire upon people gathered in a room. And here we are gathered in this place, ready to receive from you once again. On that day, um, the, the Holy Spirit enabled the gospel to be shared in many languages so that everyone could take it home as if it was their own message in their own native tongue back to where they came from. And this morning, I pray that these words, that the word from God, the living word, would dwell in our hearts and make its home in us so that as we go out of here, we return back home as transformed people. So plant your word deep in our hearts. May you come again today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can turn with me to Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 18. I'm reading out of the NIV, and it'll be up on the screens for you. It says this, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, 
My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. One of my favorite movies growing up, actually several of my favorite movies growing up, uh, have to do with this theme of uh, forgetting. Um, you know, Peter Pan in the movie Hook, he, he grows up and becomes a, uh, a businessman, and he forgets that he's Peter Pan, and he goes back to Neverland. Any, anybody love Hook? That's one of my favorite movies um, as a kid. He goes back to Neverland, he forgets how to fly, and all, his, you know, all the lost boys start to make fun of him. And one of the central plot you know, mechanisms is, how does Peter remember how to fly? How will he do it? And there's another movie where Simba, the lion, goes into the jungle and he spends so much time with Timon and Pumbaa that he forgets that he's the king of Pride Rock. He forgets whose son he is. He's the son of the king and he is heir to the throne. And he goes back, and you remember Rafiki takes him back to the pool and he looks in his reflection and he sees his father, the face of his father and he sees his father in the clouds and his father says, um, you have forgotten me, right? And so you have forgotten who you are. Right? That's, uh, that's the voice of Mufasa. So he, he goes, it's my best impression. Uh, he, goes back to, he goes back to Pride Rock after remembering who he is. But it's a real, those are plot mechanisms of forgetting. But it's actually, though, even those are, those are fictional stories, uh, the fact that we forget is a real thing. I mean, uh, scientists tell us that our brains, the human brain is so prone to forgetting things. And our memory is so malleable that that when, we, that when we don't think about something or when we think about something wrongly, that we, we remember things wrong or we f- totally forget things like a hard drive that's erased. Um, they say that nerves that fire together wire together, meaning if you constantly practice remembering something, you're going to remember it. But if you don't think about something, your brain just forgets it. There's other things it needs to learn and, and practice. And if you're not using something, if you, don't, if you don't use it, you'll lose it, right? The, the human brain is really prone to forgetting stuff. And God knows this. That's why he tells the Israelites, remember, do not forget the Lord your God. It's important to God that they remember. But the Israelites forget. And that is almost the entire history of the Israelites. You see it in, um, in Psalm 78. Kind of illustrates this well. It says this, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation will know them, even the children yet to be born, and, in, and they in turn will tell their children. So basically they're saying, we practice this. We practice remembering. And then it goes on. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant. They refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown him. The people of Israel forgot. Over and over and over again, they forgot. 
Adam and Eve, they forgot the words that God had spoken to them. And so that when the serpent came and told them, twisted the truth just a little bit, they forgot what the real truth was. Abraham was given a promise that you will have children. You have, you'll be the father of many nations. But he forgot that it was a promise. He forgot God's promise. And, and later on, he begins to go, was that God's promise? Or was that just like what I was supposed to do, a plan I was supposed to make? And so he goes about trying to make it happen. He forgets that it was a promise. Um, the, the battle that Gideon leads, you remember Gideon takes all these men, kids, do you remember learning about that this year? I think the kids did uh, Gideon, right? I see some heads nodding. Okay, cool. Uh, just after Gideon dies, the people he was fighting with, they totally forget him. They forget all the things God had done. And they go back to worshiping Baals. So after God had accomplished his victory for these people, Gideon dies and the people forget. And then it says they forget who Gideon was and they start treating his family poorly. Like we are so prone to forgetting. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 um, forgets. So basically Daniel comes to, to Nebuchadnezzar to interpret a dream and says, and it's about a tree that gets cut down. And Daniel says, this tree, this, the dream is about you. And here's what's going to happen. God's going to take away all the things that you have. And then it says this, Daniel 4, 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. All the things that Daniel predicted happened. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives to them anyone he wishes. Gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar forgets that the things that surround him are gifts from God. He begins to think that they're his. And so God says, I'm going to take them away from you until you acknowledge that I'm the one who's given all things. I grew up going to junior high in the 90s. And in the 90s, it was really cool to take hats and cut them into visors. Did anybody else do this? I think this is the weirdest thing. I don't know why people did this, but in the 90s, I guess it was cool. Um, my brother and I were given hats from my uncle. They were like Lakers championship hats. We, we liked the Lakers, and he gave us Lakers hats, and we thought they were really cool. And my brother lost his one day. He forgot where he put it. And um, apparently, he had lost it at my friend's house. And my friend uh, had it at his house for months and months and months. And we just figured it was lost. We forgot where it was. And my friend uh, sought around his house one day, and thought, you know what the cool thing is, is to cut old hats into visors. And so he found this hat laying around. He's like, this is perfect. I'll finally have a chance to be cool. So he took the hat that he found, and he cut it into a visor. And then he came to school with it on. And he was like, hey, guys, look at my new visor. And my brother was just like, that's my hat. <laughs> he was so upset. But my friend, he, uh, he had just seen it around his house. He figured, this is mine. He was surrounded by it so often, he, he figured it was his, and he forgot that it wasn't his, and he ended up destroying it. He ended up destroying the gift. 
And my brother had forgotten where he put it. And so, you know, who can blame my friend? And I just, I reflect on that story thinking of the pride that, uh, that Deuteronomy talks about. That when we're surrounded by these things, when we build fine houses and settle down, when you, with your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget. You're going to forget that God is the one who gave you all these things. And I think of our context in West Michigan, the things that we're surrounded by. I wonder what are the things that, that we just live with that, are normal, that become normal to us. Begin to think that these things are things that we earned. Things that we accomplished by our might and our own power. That we earn these things that we have. Whether it's the houses that we live in or the jobs that we have or the relationships that we have, the kids that we have. Whatever it is that we think that we have becomes normalized to us and we think, well, this is, this is mine. This is what I earned. And it's mine to do with what I please. Verse 12 through 14 warns us not to forget and to become proud because it leads to destruction. Just like my friend who cut a hat out because he thought it was his. These things are not truly ours. They're given to us as gifts to steward well, but it's easy to forget. But I also think of it from, if you were to think of it from my brother's perspective, someone who, who is given something and just loses it. We lose it. We we, we end up taking the thing, we, we have a lot of, we've been given a lot of things, and uh, we forget that they're God's. And, and then we, we continue to ask for more. We say, why doesn't God show up and provide for me the way I need provision for? How come God hasn't come through for me? We don't look at the past of what God has done, and so we think God has to keep giving us more and more and more. We forget that we've been given a lot. John 14, 8 through 9. Let's see if I have it up here. I do. Uh, This is uh, in the upper room on the night before uh, Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, Philip says this, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Just show us the Father. Give us something new. Give us a sign. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is being asked to do something new. He's being asked to give something that he hasn't given before, like show us the Father. And Jesus says, I've already showed you the Father. If you just pay attention to my work in your life, if you just pay attention to what I've been doing, you would see what I've been doing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't feel this lack or this spiritual depletion. I think that's what else happens is pride doesn't just lead to destruction. Pride also leads to our own spiritual depletion that we begin to think that we don't have anything or that God's not present in our lives. And Jesus is saying, if you pay attention to my work in your life, if you just were to pay attention to remember, you would see the Father. You'd see me. You'd see that I'm, I've been in your life and that I've provided for everything you need. I spend a lot of time um, thinking about what will happen in the future and planning for it. I've spent a lot of the time in the future trying to get the future to turn out my way. And uh, I was talking to a friend this week who kind of caught me in that and said, Brendan, you're extrapolating. And God says not to do that. He says, you can dream, but remember, just like Abraham, you can't make it happen. The future is out of your hands. It's in God's hands. So remember what he's done and trust in him. And what he did is he walked me back 
over the last 10 years, and he's like, remember like 10 years ago where you were? And think about what God has done in the last 10 years and how different your life is now. Because I was talking to him 10 years ago and, and cl- complaining about similar things and worried about the future. And he's like, look what God has done in the last 10 years. And as I looked at the last 10 years, it filled me with gratefulness, thinking, wow. Actually, as I look back and remember what God has done, I realize I don't, I don't really have anything to fear. God has taken care of me all along. I don't have anything to worry about. And God knows I need to remember that often, because if I don't, that sets in, that, that fear of the future begins to set in, which I think is really our main obstacle to remembering. God says, remember the Lord your God. And what's um, extremely obvious about the practice of remembering is it involves thinking about the past. Remembering involves thinking about the past. And this is something that can be scary for some of us to think about the past because there's things in our past that we might be that might have caused us pain or trauma or fear, wounds or failures that lie in our past that, that we don't want to go back to. But I think we also fear looking back at the past because we're pretty obsessed about the future. We're pretty obsessed about the future. Um, the Hebrew mindset is different than our mindset. And when God says to remember, he's battling against the mindset that's obsessed with the future. If you look in the prophets, they often uh, start off their prophecies by saying, in the latter days. Have you ever noticed this? In the latter days? And then they go on to talk about something in the future. Does this confuse anybody else? <laughs> I'm like, okay, if you're talking about the latter days, the behind days, why are you now talking about the future? Because the future's in front of me, right? But that's not so. For the Hebrew people, I mean, we think of it like a, a windshield. Like I'm driving forward into the future, and I have this little tiny rearview mirror that shows me what's in the past, just for reference when I need it, just for safety concerns. And that's kind of our Western future-obsessed mindset. But God is calling them, the Hebrew people, to a different mindset. He's saying it's more like a rowboat. I want you to like sit down in a rowboat and look into the past while you row into the future, right? And the future is dark and unknown. You don't know what's happening in the future. You don't know what will be. But if you look in the past and orient yourself, just like you would in a rowboat, to keep your sight on the past and look at what I've done, you'll, have, you'll trust me for what's happening in the future. It's okay. That's the mindset that God is calling these people into. And it's the same thing that Jesus called his people into, right? He said, today has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. And God is saying, I want you to remember what I have done. And he continues to tell the story of deliverance to the people who constantly forget it. And so he says, let's establish some festivals here. Let's, they have the Passover and other festivals where they remember the mighty acts of God in the past. Like seven times a year, they're constant, every other month, they're remembering intentionally the story of God by retelling it. And as they retell it, it comes back to life and they're reminded, oh yeah, God is trustworthy. He's brought us this far. He will continue to bring us into the future. And then it says this at the end, Deuteronomy 8.18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. When we remember, the covenant is renewed. The covenant where God says, I am your God and you are my people and I will provide for you. I will bless you to be a blessing. 
we're reminded that all that we have and all that we are is a gift. It's all a gift because God has given it. That's what happens when we remember. And we remember that God is trustworthy, that we can trust God for the future, and we don't have to worry about it. So we remember. Remembering is thinking about the past. And some of us have trouble remembering. Some of us, I have trouble remembering. Like Dwight mentioned earlier, some of us kind of think back. Have you ever had it on Monday when someone asks you how your weekend was, and you're like, uh, uh, did I have a weekend? <laughs> I don't remember what I did. That happens to me all the time. Um, but even more significantly, when I look back over my life, sometimes it's hard to remember what God has done. Or I think of those of us who have memory impairments. How can we remember what God has done when we have a hard time just with memory? Our uh, missional community a few weeks ago spent some time just telling the story of our missional community. And I kind of start off saying, hey, I'd like to just kind of go back over the history of our missional community and talk about how, how it became formed and what God has done. But I don't remember it all, so if you guys could help me. And I started talking the beginning of it, and then someone said, oh, you forgot this. And someone else said, oh, you forgot this. And we began speaking into, and we began telling the story together of what God had done in, the, in our relationships and in our mission. And, and uh, it was just a rich time of remembering together that we don't just have to remember things on our own. We remember things for each other, and we hold memory together as a community. We pra- practice remembering together. And we're doing that together as a, a staff right now. We're starting to realize we don't have a whole lot of practices of remembering as a staff. To look back over the last year and go, what has God been doing? And not just thinking about what's the next Sunday going to look like, or what's the next series going to look like, or what's the next ministry season going to look like. But to first start off going, what has God been doing in our church for the last year? And can we pay attention to that first? And trust that as we do, new opportunities are going to emerge. New leading and guidance is going to emerge from the Holy Spirit. So we're practicing that as a staff. And we're also practicing it as a church. Um, we, a few weeks ago, at the, actually at the beginning of the series, if, uh, if you remember, we did a, a, a survey on the spiritual health of Victory Point. It was like an assessment. And uh, we got like 167 survey results, which is really cool. And we had 20 questions, really basic questions about discipleship, in order to look back on the past, say, what has God been doing at our church and how has God been showing up? And so I want to share you just one little data point on, on, on that survey. And it's right here. Frequency of di- spiritual disciplines. So we're in a series talking about spiritual disciplines. And uh, this is what our church says about their frequency of practicing spiritual disciplines. Out of 167 people that took the survey, about 50% of people practice spiritual disciplines daily. Which I think is pretty cool. Like, way to go, Victory Point. And then uh, B, I guess that's a yellow one, is uh, 30%, a few times a week. That's awesome. C is uh, about 12%, a few times a month. And then D, 8%, rarely or never. So as you can see, most of us practice spiritual disciplines once a day or multiple times a week. And what I found as we kind of like uh, looked into more of the data, it says that... uh, more people, the more people at Victory Point practice spiritual disciplines, the more they enjoy it. So we had a little question on there that says, how much do you enjoy spiritual disciplines? And the people who enjoyed spiritual disciplines are the, mo- the most are the people who practice it the most. I don't know if that's counterintuitive or not, but I just thought that was cool. 
They have less chaos in their lives. They report saying that my life doesn't feel quite as chaotic. They serve others more. They like serving better. They pray for others more and experience more answered prayer. The longer VPers follow Jesus, the more disciplined they are. So I look back on that and go, wow, God is actually doing something in our lives. As we practice spiritual disciplines, as we actually intentionally try to practice the life of Christ in our lives, God is changing and transforming us. That's what I see. So we look back. Um, Looking back is also something that we do um, in the calling lab. And that's something that's going to be starting this coming Wednesday. If you haven't signed up, there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. And I'd encourage you to sign up for it because in the calling lab, basically what we're doing is we're saying, what is God calling me to? And we're answering that question not by guessing and looking forward, but we're actually looking back at our lives and we're listening to what the voice of God has been speaking in our lives, to look back over our past experiences and, and the way God has been moving and working in our communities and in our lives and our relationships to go, what is God actually calling me to based on what he's been doing in the past? and to be prepared for what he's about to do in the future. So you can sign up today uh, at the welcome table or on the Church Center app or uh, on the website slash calling-lab. So I encourage you to do that because it's a way to remember what God has done. But today I want to just introduce one really practical tool to help us remember in our daily lives the activity of God so that we're not forgetting the presence of God in our lives and starting to view all the things in our lives as things that we have earned or to have that spiritual depletion where we're thinking, well, God really isn't part of my life or isn't in my life. I wish he would show up. But to actually just have a simple tool that can help us look back in the past and identify where God has been present. And it's called the daily examine. And this is from, uh, this is an Ignatian spiritual practice And this is what I got off the Ignatian Spirituality website. It says this, The daily examine is an ancient practice in the church that can help us see God's hand at work in our whole experience. The examine is a technique of prayerful reflection on the events of the day in order to detect God's presence and discern his direction for us. So it's really just zooming in on your day. It's really simple. And I'm going to kind of give you five little points that um, might be helpful to write down. The first step is just becoming aware of God's presence. So we set aside a time and we just we become aware of God's presence. We say, all right, God, this is your time. I want you to speak. You are my God. I'm your, I'm your child. You're my heavenly father. And I just want to listen to you. And then next, we review the day with gratitude. So we look back over our last day, last 24 hours, and we identify where are the moments where I felt closest to God. They would call that uh, consolation. Where is the moments where I felt consoled or close to God that all was right in the world or that I was, I was connected to uh, the deepest truth of myself as beloved by God? To review the day with gratitude. And then to also identify moments where you felt far from God, where the presence of God seemed far away. You felt maybe alone or abandoned or, um, or disconnected to look back over the day and think of moments like that. And then the third step is to pay attention to your emotions. Pay attention to what that brings up in you. Say, God, what, did, what are you doing in me right now? Because God can speak in that language, in the language of emotions. Like, God, when, you, when I felt close to you here, here's how I felt. And when I felt far from you, this is what it made me feel like. 
And then the fourth step is to pray, to pray around one feature of the day, to think about one moment where you felt especially close to God or felt especially far from God, and to pray about that, to say, God, thank you for that moment, and what wisdom do you have for me from that moment? Or to look at the moments where you felt especially far from God and to say, God, I pray that you would just draw near to me in that space. Or to ask God where he was in that space. And the fifth step is to look forward to tomorrow. Say, okay, God, what's next? What's my next 24 hours going to look like? And those of you in, in discipleship uh, huddles have, will recognize this uh, similar to the Kairos circle, the learning circle, where we observe and we reflect on God's, um, God's words and his action in our lives, and we begin to discuss with others about how we're going to respond. That as we look back into the past, we, uh, we're able to identify where God has been at work and realize that he actually has been present, and it changes us into the future to know that. So I just want to take a couple minutes to practice that right here and right now. To look back over the last 24 hours, just from Saturday morning until this morning, and to, to become aware of God's presence, to ask God, where are the moments in this last day where I felt most connected to you? And where are the moments in this last day where I felt farthest from you? To pay attention to the emotions that come with that, and then to begin to pray and look forward out of those moments. So I'd like to, maybe Dwight could come up and um, we we just want to create a a space where you guys can reflect, where we can reflect together on the presence of God. Okay, so let's just take a moment to, uh, to, to become aware of God's presence and to begin to review the last day and to remember where God has been at work. So God, we turn to you now, and we ask that you would speak, that you would show us and reveal to us your presence, even in the last 24 hours, 24 hours which might have seemed rushed or might have seemed void of your presence, 24 hours that might have um, been full of uh, busyness or um, uh, depletion. We pray that you would show us the moments as we kind of scrub through the day, that you would show us the moments where you have been present. God, as I look back over the last even just 24 hours, 
I can think of moments, even a particular moment where I felt alone. I felt like it was up to me. I pray, God, that you would, would come and you'd heal that place in me. And God, I also think of a moment in particular where I felt um, forgiveness and connection with you. I pray that you would um, teach me to walk in that path. And thank you for that moment where you showed up. Even in the smallest way, it was enough. So God, we ask for you to lead us forward in trust, knowing that the God who walked with us in the past is the God who will lead us in the future. Amen. So I want to encourage you, you can do this practice daily. You can wake up every morning and think of the last day, or you can maybe do it before you fall asleep at night. You can do it monthly or weekly to look back over a larger period of time, or like it's great on birthdays or New Year's or Christmas or Easter, or big moments in your year to look back and go, where has God been present for the last year? And where, is God, where have I felt God's absence? And to remember God's activity. And the further we look back into our past, I think the more we have reason to trust God for the future. Um, the disciples had every reason to be worried about their future on Pentecost. And yet they remembered the story of God. Jesus had every reason to be afraid for his future on the night before his crucifixion when he was up in the upper room with his disciples. He had all kinds of things to think about and plan for and worry about, things to strategize around and landmines he needed to avoid or how do I get out of this or how do I prepare for this? He had every reason to be obsessed with the future going towards his crucifixion. And yet he chose to remember, literally to engage with the Passover, the story of God's deliverance for his people. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus remembered that God is a deliverer who brings people from death to life. He had done it before. He was going to do it again. And he took the bread and the cup. He said, this is now my body and this is now my blood given for you. When you eat it and when you drink it, you remember me. You remember that this is enough. And we look back and we have all these things in our heads about what, what we're worried about or the things we'd like to happen in the future, the things we need to work out in a certain way. And we look back on Jesus and we remember that the cross is enough. It was enough for Jesus to show us his full love. And when we remember that, he becomes alive again to us today. It becomes real to us again today. So let's, um, let's share communion today as we worship. That, that this is the very presence of Christ that we remember and that gives us hope for the future. So we're going to share communion now. And um, I encourage you to, uh, when you're ready during the song, you can come out to your, leave to your left and return to your right. Okay, the, You can come out this way and, and come around and take the bread and dip it in the juice. And remember God's promise for you. Remember the presence of Christ. Remember the deliverance of God that uh, is, is sufficient for us wherever we're about to go. Let's celebrate communion together. All things are ready.